Welcome everybody back to How to Break an Artist. I'm very relieved that fucking first episode is out the way and done. And uh, we can move on and not look back in anger, as I always just like to say. And yeah, now I thought it'd be a good t- chance to grill you for a change instead, you know, and how do you feel about that? Go on. <laughs> just a couple of quickfire questions, really, before we kind of jump onto YouTube and yeah, what that means to both of us, I think. But yeah. Who are you? What's going on? Your name's been on. Where are you from? So I'm from Cork and I'm a songwriter and a filmmaker. I'm 23. I don't walk up for that in. <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> for the listeners, like what, what do you what do you call yourself? Obviously, you're you're not just called Shannon. Uh, that's who you are at the moment. But I release under Finchgeta and that's... Finchgeta, what's that mean? Uh, folklore in Irish. Um, although there's definitely a a Gwela Gore listening to this chick in the head of me. I think it means like legends that recall the past. Cool. Um, but I like that. I release under Finchgeta Productions with film, and I guess with this podcast, and then I release under Finchgeta with my music, and I'll be releasing next month. And how would you describe your music in a few words? Um, I'd like to think like passenger meets Bonnie Ver, but I also listen to people like the Clancy Brothers and um Court and Lightfoot and most random influences um coming into it. But my first song release is next month, so we'll see how that fares. See how it yeah, yeah. No, so folky. Folky sort of background. That's yeah, how, like yeah, indie yeah. folk, but yeah. 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 No, no, I'd I'd agree with everything you said there. That's yeah, good description. And yeah, uh, what's the main reason you do this? Um, I think I've been. Um, I'm gonna start this again. Can we start these questions once more? <laughs> it's so fucking fine. I'm gonna do them better. All of the questions. Uh, go on. Yeah, just I just gonna I can do it better because uh, that that caught me so off guard. I swear we're probably gonna end up using the off guard stuff. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, you had a fair go of it last week, so... Yeah, um, the, yeah. you were interviewed by fucking Brent Hubbardy, I say, so you're used to it, like. Well, hey, look, you're, you're going to have to get used to it if you, <laughs> wa- if you want to be in show business. Come here, what's the main reason you're doing music and art and direction and all that all that stuff? What, what, why, what, 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 what makes you do this? Um, when I was a kid, I remember going to the cinema and that being my favorite thing to do. Um, as a load of rough shite was happening through my life, that was always the consistency. And then when I was older, gigs became the same. And listening to Passenger when I was 15, maybe, it was Whispers too, and that got me into songwriting. I think from there, creativity was always my North Star through school and um, into adulthood. And it's worked out so far. And I'm still... Um, catching up to the fact that it's actually working out um, at least now fair play man that's yeah that's a beautiful answer um at the moment what are your goals for your career <laughs> i uh <laughs> fuck this is really about the hot seat isn't it <laughs> it'll it'll be really good to have it on the record i think in yeah. in, in future yeah 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 well, anyway what, what what springs to mind what's your gut saying like what what would you where would you like to be in one year if that's an easier way to answer yeah my first song therapy releases in a month's time and my 
for the mid-youth crisis is showing in Brighton. And those are both products of, um, yeah, the time I, I lived there and left Ireland. So to be honest, I'm just excited to have them as, you know, the standard of where I'm beginning and just build from there. So lots more songs to be released in the new year and more films to be made exploring different uh, perspectives and um yeah giving voices to different people if i can cool and what would be yeah what would you like to achieve with with that say in one year what is the metric for you this creative goes um i think it was paul thomas anderson who said something like you know when you achieve your dream you say like basically say nothing to no one so I'll be telling you what my goals are, but it'll be nice Very to good. be <laughs> to be doing this and um, to be able to live off that. Um, yeah, especially just kind of in my early twenties, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. And then to build from there, that's really it, really. I like that. It's it's really modest, and like that's not. Yeah, that's the, most musicians literally just want to live off their work, and that's a prime example. Like that's a that's a perfectly okay metric to me. You know, I don't. I don't need to hear. I want a billion views on my YouTube fucking I video. Give a shit. I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, those goals, you're. I think that's really smart to keep them kind of private. But, but in terms of yeah, having literally wanting an honest income from your work, uh, yeah, res- respect basically. But you, you said you were a director. Like, what is your favorite film? Ooh, um, Punch Drunk Love would be my favorite although i do have a truman show tattoo that i'm looking at as i'm answering this punch drunk love what's that i've never heard of it uh it's by paul thomas anderson and um so yeah you just quoted him right yeah 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 i just um yeah it's in the i have the ticket when i saw it in the cinema in my phone case cool cool so yeah that was easy uh and if you could have anybody star in one of your music videos uh, who would it be probably nicholas cage just for the crack like honestly like i feel like if you offer anything and i put them in a finch scale the story and just but we take it like really seriously and we don't acknowledge the fact that it's nicholas cage i think it'll be brilliant well i know him as nick so nick if you're listening um <laughs> your uncle nick <laughs> family I'm friend i'm joking if you pay him enough, he'll do it. That's his thing. If you pay his fee, <laughs> he'll do it. So that's I, that's the same uh, same as me, really. That's uh, if I can get the the slightest bit of fuck you money, I would do some hilariously autistic shit. Okay, well here it is on record. <laughs> and yeah, like again, this this is kind of it'll hopefully bridge us into now what we're gonna discuss for the next hour. Our music videos important for you first of all and for new artists yes i yes <laughs> they are <laughs> i think that um at least the visual side of your brand is really important from my perspective anyway when i yeah. listen to a song i love having an image in my head or like a world t- from my head to just like jump into as i listen to the music and you know have that um as i'm listening to it and i find without that it can be hard to jump into what the artist um is putting across and maybe it's left up to too much um interpretation for the listener then in my opinion but also um they can be very costly and uh on the filmmaker side there's not much profit to be made so it's like 
a really fine line um to to walk yeah so if you kind of answered it there but do why do you make your videos i think that everyone has a point of view that they express themselves from and i love seeing someone do that authentically now that's a very like idealistic point of view whatever i don't know if that's the right word but like to think that every artist is just expressing themselves fully through their music videos when you know there's a lot of money and uh, different voices behind it sometimes yeah uh, as you'd know um, yeah well yeah but... <laughs> you know i just enjoy the collaboration of us getting to work with um actors and a really talented crew and just bring a bring uh my song to life uh was surreal um because it's inspired by some moments that happened in real life and you know it, it was yeah it was pretty surreal to like go back to um cork city and and shooting around places i used to go and like obviously you're a director so you have like your head in the world of other directors and stuff like what's the most amount of money you've heard that's been spent on 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 a music video what's the biggest budget you've heard of just to give listeners who have no idea like 30 40 grand i don't know i spoke about that obviously in the last episode like yeah. budgets budgets in the commercial music video world are very very high um your how much did your music video cost it would have cost under a grand i'd say and are you expecting any financial return on this music video do you know how that works is there is there any um, process in which to get paid where would you upload it first of all um <laughs> see what i'm doing there if you could see the smirk on <laughs> his face right now that he just he went through this maze of questions <laughs> this is where he was going to i would upload it to youtube alfie <laughs> no way you know <laughs> And no, I would not expect a financial return. <laughs> Boom. Um, <laughs> just in a little bit of preparation I did for this, I realized, like, because obviously where I think the angle we should take for the podcast is how music fits into YouTube, which is exactly what we just illustrated. Yeah. Like, and I actually have in my fucking hand yeah. <laughs> this book from 1985 how to get a hit record, which explains like 1985 would have been peak music video time. Yeah. And this explains perfectly well how, first of all, dominant music videos were and how much money they brought to artists and how much money was spent on music videos in 1985. I read it again this morning. I found it really interesting and I thought we could just read a couple of lines from it. Yeah. We might not even use it in the podcast, but I just thought it was so interesting. It goes into just what we were talking about there at the end of your grilling session. So it says, this is just the, the chapter from the book about the video. And it says, apart from the street level manipulation of the charts, uh, public taste is mostly bent by the relatively new marketing vehicle, the video. The video first appeared in the mid-1970s when Queen, the first group to exploit the commercial possibilities of making a video to promote record sales for their single, Bohemian Rhapsody. I know it. Can you picture it, the four lads? Yes. Um, so here we go. Now it is the video which is the main vehicle for the message. So this is in 1985. The market manipulators, that would be the record labels, found a perfect way to present their act in precisely the way they choose. Videos are made like small-scale feature films with budgets anywhere between £25,000 
and £1 million. £1 million. This sort of carefully controlled promotion avoids the dangers of new stars being revealed as instrumental incompetence and, and manages to avoid showing any less flattering physical characteristics. So that's basically saying in a time when really if you were going to make it, you had to be you had to have everything, talent, looks, all of yeah. it, be, because you're recording on tape, you're doing things live, you cannot flag it. The music video came along and suddenly artists could sort of blag it. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have to play live. You're playing to a track. You're, it's like a backing track and everything. So yeah. that's basically what he's touching on there. It, it's like the beginning of manufacturing Fucking hell, man. music. Um, is this relevant, do you think? Yeah. And it's also, I just did the little Google. Uh, a million pounds in 1985 is £3 million today, roughly. Whoa. Fucking hell. So there you go. Three million quid. And we're going to get to what video costs three million quid. The video allows poor acts to be... (laughs) (laughs) The video allows poor acts to be sustained in the business, whereas previously, lack of talent would fairly quickly expose poor quality, overhyped acts for what they are or what they were. I have a question for you based off that. Do you think the equivalent today would be social media? (laughs) And I mean, this is the parallels it's drawing for me massively. And like the difference is we it's all like we now have the tools to manipulate our talents. Yeah. Whereas like in the, in 1985, only the labels had the tools and the money to manipulate talents. And like no random person in their gaff could put on autotune or make a fucking million million pound music video, whereas the labels could. So this is it's just a really... I find this book so interesting because I signed in to the to the end of this industry, the nineteen eighty five yeah. million pounds spent on music video sort of industry. That's that's the tail end of the industry I caught on to, and now we're into something totally different. Streaming and mu- music videos simply don't make a return. The return he talks about here, he says, MTV and the British video took the American record business by surprise. And it took several years for the companies to find the directing talent required to respond with sufficient power to make an impact. The 1984 video of Thriller made to promote Michael Jackson's single and album took a million dollars to make. Billions of dollars flowed into the British recording industry as a result of this phenomenon. And British acts now account for around a quarter of all chart singles sold in the USA. It is for this reason that the British music business is now so tightly controlled. The stakes have become tremendous. The message is clear. No new recording artist who aims to make a hit should consider any deal which does not guarantee video promotion once a record starts to move. So that's shifted completely from Hasn't it? the 80s. Hasn't it? Because obviously there was a lot of money in music videos at yeah. a time. And they were a massive part of the puzzle financially. Yeah. And that seems to have disappeared until, when do you think? I have notes here. So, um, in terms of YouTube now, I remember on YouTube, basically, Vivo became a thing. And in my, in my recollection, it was right in like 2014, 2015. It was like yeah. the expansion of monetization. Vivo became, you know... Seeing like the Vivo label on a video thumbnail, you're like, oh wow, that's like a music video. And that was like the thing for a while. 
yeah, I think that became like the new MTV for a bit. But it, what I found interesting, basically, I was looking into Hudson Taylor's YouTube channel. And if you go on to popular videos, you'll see that very quickly um, the views peaked. And as the releases kept going, the views kept going down. And what I found the most interesting was the World Without You music video. Something like, you know, 600,000 views or something like that. Yeah. I think just a couple thousand less than that is you um, and the other lads doing an acoustic version in like a barn or something. It's like, it just like, it changed from, we're going to put all this money into this big music video and it's going to achieve this to like something filmed on what like a, a handy cam and that can achieve the same metrics and realistically the same impact and the impact like is completely different now than it was it really changed things like and it's important to illustrate loads of this and how it differed from the label world at the time because us like releasing on youtube first of all it's an international platform yeah if, if you release in ireland people in america can hear you the record industry did not work like that. Everyone had licenses to different countries and like your music wouldn't get put out in America unless a label was on board, uh, changing release schedules forever, basically. The other thing is exactly what you just said, like things we were doing for 200 quid off the cuff with no planning would end up achieving more views than First of all, a studio quality recording of the song and a 15, 20 grand music video. That's where I'm at as well, though. Like, I, my filmmaking background, like, I was studying in a college where there was no budget and my first film was made for a couple hundred quid. You know, I wrote the film with that in mind. The limitations yeah. make you get creative, but when you know what the standard is, for example, you know what the quality of a recording needs to be to match what's on Spotify, or you know what things are free in creativity you can reach those standards and yeah get them done at a lower cost and like my advice for anyone listening to this who wants to make a music video and wants to make a song make it like there's no camera that's gonna allow you to do it like you have your phone yeah you have just like th these budgets aren't needed like creativity you can go and do it like it's all the idea i think particularly with the music video for me if the idea is good you can record it on anything yeah Kind of going back to YouTube and the music videos and like, yeah, YouTube just came along and it fucks shit up in the industry. Loads of different things are happening that are outside of the control of, in 19, 1985, what he calls the market manipulators. The big main labels, basically. Yeah. So Vivo, I was a YouTuber, as you as you call them, for, for years from 2008 till 2012 until we got signed. We were very much independent YouTubers. Uh, my my brother, I can give him credit for, for running running the page. But there was elements of it I enjoyed, and we, we might get into that later. But when we got signed, suddenly, yeah, there was like two platforms going on. Vivo, because you said 2015, but I'm pretty sure Cinematic Lifestyle was on Vivo in 2012. Was Vivo its own website? So here we go. Vivo LLC. This is just from their wiki. Vivo is an abbreviation for Video Evolution. It's an American multinational video hosting service best known for providing music videos to YouTube. The service was concluded after negotiations on June the 16th, 2009 as a joint venture amongst the three major record companies, Universal Music Group, Sony Music Entertainment, 
and shortly before its launch by EMI. In August 2016, Warner Music Group, the world's third largest record company, agreed to license premium videos from its artists to Vivo. Interesting. So, this tells me that Vivo is the market manipulators, the label's answer to, wow, fucking YouTube has just fucked our shit up here. We've got to fucking change our release schedules. Also, it's my understanding that like copyright law, when YouTube first came about, was so unenforced. Like if you recorded the Late Late Show or if you recorded some music video, anyone could lash it up onto YouTube and there'd be no authority to come and tell you to take it down. So I think that started to scare the music industry because around the same time as well, uh, I may or may not have been doing this, like illegally downloading torrent music. And that was a massive threat to the CD industry, the physical copies industry, again, which we spoke about in that first episode. So YouTube's coming about at a very testy time in the music industry and it is fucking shit up. And Mm. then basically my, I, I come into it then with my experience with, with signing to Polydor, one of the labels that are owned by the universal music group, who, when I signed to them, official music, music videos became Vivo content. Yeah. And anything we did, and this, I hope is, I hope is correct. That video you were talking about, the world without you comparison, that's not a Vivo, the one we made for 200 quid. No, no. So that became the difference. And I think that is so they can monetize the original and the official audio in the correct way. Do do you get me? So I, so, so the labels are in control of all the money that that makes now rather than you Hudson Taylor. It's like, I'd know from before we signed, say like there was an income stream from YouTube and I don't know if this still exists now because I'm no longer really a YouTuber, but there was an income stream there. I remember it being 250 to 500 euro a month for the money that ads had created on our original content. I don't know what happens to that in the end. And and I think when we signed, we signed away our rights to that money. I'm not sure. But yeah, I just remember how significant Viva was. And then as our career went on, on the first album, first album London-based, we we did sessions with Vivo. I mean, you probably find them on the YouTube thing, like uh, live sessions. And... We have one here. Have you seen the rain? I have it open next to me, but like the that'd probably be one of the most recent ones. Um, so that's interesting. Vivo. Does, that's but... interesting. Yeah. So that's also now creeping into the new era. So that's not Polydor now. That's that's going to the Irish label and the Irish way of doing things. Uh, Ruby Works and. But some yeah, of the so, videos weren't Vivo. So like you had Vivo for like most of them, but like Run With Me wasn't Vivo or Feel It Again wasn't Vivo. But also was and How I Know It's Christmas was and All the money makers maybe. I don't know. Uh it's just it's uh, <laughs> it's another thing to maybe point out. I actually worked for YouTube for for the best of three days, I had a fucking contract with them to do some market research and yeah. tell them tell them about some new products they were launching as experienced yeah. YouTubers. However, it was like, that was when I really realized how out of touch I was with this shit and how much it had changed since 2008 when we started. And like, I definitely felt 
a di- like a deer in fucking headlights. You know, they were doing yeah. filmed interviews asking us about how we use the platform. And like, as we just discussed, we were using the platform in a very strange way because it was half label and half us. And that kind of stopped us from becoming YouTubers. But like, it's also important to note, and I see this so much now when I look back at everything from the early Hudson Taylor career, the fucking cringe of it all, you know? And like, no offense to anyone who might find that offensive, but it just looks so like internet 2008, 2009. It just looks like really weird. And then particularly because I'm young and I don't know, I just look back. It's like looking back at an old diary or hearing my voice from, you know, it's just really, uh, I find it all quite cringe. So at the time, I think the industry thought that as well with YouTube artists. Like there was a stigma around YouTubers and yeah. we were like, in London anyway, it was obviously happening in different territories, but in London, we were part of the first wave of YouTubers to become signed artists. And obviously like my partner has become a a really successful YouTuber artist. We know of other uh, really successful YouTube artists who were all coming up at the time. And who would they be? And well, you're talking family. like Doughty, Orla Gartland, Gabrielle. Uh, they're like the the top top three people I think of. Uh, but if you gave me more time, I'd, I'd probably come out. Can with I ask more you names. what was your earliest um, memory of YouTube? Like, do you remember the first YouTube video you remember watching? Moving on. But ding 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 ding. It was um not the crazy frog, but it was like the crazy. That was just a double accent. That wasn't even. It was the crazy frog noise. Yes. But to a static image of a Formula One car, and it and it said just a simple caption: "Try and look at this image for thirty seconds without laughing," and it just is the particular type of humor I'm into. I fucking remember bursting my shit laughing at this thing. That's kind of my first earliest memory of YouTube. Nothing to do with music or the podcast at all, to be honest. We'll have to do a whole episode on that now. (laughs) That's the Christmas special. Yeah, (laughs) ringtone music. And yeah, we're going to play the Crazy Fog for 45 minutes straight. I'm joking. Good. (laughs) Um, So yeah, what, what was YouTube then, do you think, for us? If you look at YouTube back in, um, I don't know, 2013 and compare it to like 10 years later, um, YouTube was like a broadcasting service. You know what I mean? You could go onto it and it felt like, you know, it was like I was the same as you. You were uploading your video and I could watch it from wherever I was. And that was the whole, like, that was the cool thing about it. Like, I was seeing, remember Remy Gallard, he's like a French YouTuber, and I'd, I'd watch his like videos of, Mario Kart in real life and stuff like that. That's when I was like, <laughs> I was tiny. And like, I think it evolved. Like, obviously, there's like early 2010s cringe. And then it's interesting to see, um, I'm not going to name any names of YouTubers, but like, you see them evolve now. Um, you look at people basically in their 30s with businesses and they started uploading videos in their bedrooms. And, um, is this separate to music? Like more YouTubers? Or is it distinction music? Or are you talking overall vloggers and musicians? And, and I think also both. I, f- both I, feel, yeah. I feel like back in the day, there was a mix of like, I feel like what music was on YouTube was slightly separate 
than what like vloggers and youtubers were but there was also a bit of merging there and as it grew yeah. it became more distinct and the musicians branched off yeah when do you think the switch happened from whatever it was before to then people thinking it and seeing it as a business i feel like as the company grew and monetization um, yes became widespread and you know it, it changed from what i was in the early days to um the company grew almost became an adult and for example now and i'm going to name some channels i would have watched through the, the years but it kind of touches on how it evolved yeah um, phil defranco he's a news channel and i would have watched him 10 years ago and yeah. he started a company called SourceFed, and that was you know one of those it was a business and it was a massive channel and a massive part of youtube culture and that would have had funding from youtube to get started and it was a very big like it was a touchstone of the internet basically for a while um and i have very fond memories of it but i remember it was like what 2017 or it was a long while ago now it, it stopped it just wasn't making it, the, the the platform changed and it was evolving and but um you know Philip franco still uploads every day on his news and has okay. evolved as a business but he's obviously treated it as a business yeah. we can name probably a thousand youtubers you probably know a few of them who do not upload and are just wiped off the internet um compared to where they were when you were starting i feel like yeah you know and this goes to music as well you know you have to be willing to evolve and um be in touch of with what's happening and um adapt and pivot and you know i feel like if you don't do that you're either going to be left behind or what you're doing won't work and the longevity goes out the window that is of course if it just depends on your motivations with it that's that's what i'm trying to like i didn't get into youtube to make money what was the motivation there it was community it was to share music it was to do that like i didn't do it for what it is now what did you do YouTube for in the early days? I was a 15 year old kid. I was just starting to get into music and, and writing songs. It, it didn't really interest me, any of this stuff, doing music on YouTube. Until then, there was a metric to see, like, until there was a, a hundred views and some from different countries. That was enough to go, oh my God, there's actually hope. And I really wanted to do the music at that time. And uh, I would have done anything basically to do it so just those that initial outside belief in what we were doing was enough to just spur on the band to keep us going it was support basically and that was because the age i was at the time i think like i didn't want people who knew me as alfie in my hometown to see these videos because I was, it was all cringe and it was all just not, yeah, it's just not yeah. what was going on and not what the norm was at the time. Like, again, we've said it before, like teenagers weren't fucking posting videos of themselves online. It it sounds weird, but they weren't. Taking a selfie it would be embarrassing. Honestly, you'd get the shit ripped out of you for taking a selfie in 2008. I'm not joking you. Where I'm from saying, anyway. I going to say kicked out of you. And I was like, Jesus. No, ripped out of you. <laughs> um that was the kind of what was going on the culture at the time amongst people my age and so yeah doing this was very unusual and yeah i think the motivations was purely like 
wow, outside forces, I, any random person from a different country can listen to my music and maybe there is something here if it's not just my ma or close friends saying we're all right. There's actually a few other people as well. And that was just enough to spur on the band and the belief. So there was no financial motivation. Um, there was a bit of a motivation to keep in contact with people. And it was early social media. Facebook, Twitter was just coming about. And and yeah, again, we we were on a family holiday playing music to people and they recommended we start a YouTube channel. And then obviously it developed into other things like we set it up in 2008. 2009, we had 1,000 subscribers. By 2010, we had 5,000 subscribers. So that was a massive shift. And at about that point, we became partners with YouTube, yeah, and we were earning money and it was a lot more serious and it was more about promoting our original content, which is then our copyright. Do you see what I mean? Rather than using someone else's, so we can make money off our own. Yeah music but we couldn't make money off our covers so it was like an early lesson in 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 copyright for kind of 16 year old me kind of and it i suppose encouraged us to write our own songs because there was some sort of financial incentive for writing our own songs i think the thing is as well and i remember when i was younger and i'd be posting online and it was incredibly cringy looking back um but writing a song and having somewhere to actually show it like by no means was what I was doing good enough to go into a studio, record it, and put it out. Nor did I know yeah. anything about that yeah. kind of process. I didn't need to know because I had a phone and an internet connection, and I yeah. could actually just like put it out there. So I think it it's a good thing that someone can create something wherever they are, put it up, and share their story, their perspective, their creativity. Do you think you doing that now has the same impact? as me doing that 12 years ago. I feel like you doing it 12 years ago, the bar for making a financial return was um, more achievable. Like brand new artist 12 years ago, brand new artist now. Do you have the same hopes as I did? Like YouTube was leverage for me. You know, if you put up videos now, what would you have to get to for that to be leverage? No clue. And But also I don't have it in me to to do that graft and that graft in your mind is in my mind there's a graft for everything now because people's attention has become a commodity for these massive companies and if i'm a musician a filmmaker um and i'm putting out my work um let's say on streaming services or on youtube on instagram whatever um back in the day youtube would have been um, your channel was a place for a community to come and they'd watch your videos, interact and that was it. But now it's like the attentions, the attention of um, of the audience firstly, in my mind the, the actual attention span of an audience is absolutely shattered by these algorithms and the way that um, these apps um, capture people's attention. But secondly the way they actually work is like and this is what i find the most interesting thing doing the research and the comparison i'll draw between what you were doing in the early days and now um you'd post something that you'd record on a handycam for 200 quid and that was it you'd get um uh an audience tuning in it was growing you actually were making you know a decent number of money amount of money for the time like and for the age 
now it's like <laughs> is, is your thumbnail good enough in the first five seconds do you do you hook their attention on tiktok it's like people scrolling and you there's like all these different ways to like hook someone in and um the algorithms are consistently changing and are you getting into the playlists and like it's like jesus like i don't know i can tell you 100 percent, none of that shit crossed our minds 12 years ago none of it it wasn't any of that like calculating social media marketing uh you, you know it's just something that i appreciate new artists now have to have to obviously have their head in the game and think that way but i find it so sad um because it is, you're it is. you're that's not what you're here as an artist to do in my opinion and yeah fucking fair play to you you've got your head in the game and you're thinking about it and you're a director too so you've got you know even more stuff in the game um i think it's extremely sad to have to think about all these things uh, when all you really want to do is just fucking create music. Uh, you know, in, in your case, my case, uh, you know, and, or, or create art and music videos. You've got to ensure it's going to capture enough attention so you can hopefully make money for doing it or to monetize it in some other way to send people to your other platform, which might make you money. I'm approaching my first release and there's been... Um... A bit of a learning curve in all the different things you have to do as an independent artist to get a song um, onto the streaming service and just a massive to-do list basically that's fairly yeah. overwhelming but it won't be as overwhelming for the next release because i'll actually it's it's just new standards of stuff basically that I and you are with. what me seeing these standards from other people what other people are doing mostly I'm or taking notice of what my peers are what um people um are doing whether it's on social media or i just kind of do some research into it cool but i find what i do then is i then um, check in with myself and see what i'm actually comfortable doing so like i would have posted when i was younger on line and there was a point like it was basically like i could post a cover by learning in five minutes posting absolute shite and then just uploading and that was it that was the bar and i didn't have to think about it again but then it's like that switch from that to being an actual musician who actually knows what they're doing and actually like understands the song, understands what they're playing. Yeah, my teacher um, in college called the seventies, you know, like like tempo tuning, like everything. Yeah. Like, and like Jesus, those were like life changing to find out because I was like, yeah, class. <laughs> That's yeah. the standard of like. Well, it goes back fuck. to the very early conversations from Mister How to get a hit record from 1985 like yeah there is a certain production value which you know in the 70s in the 80s like you had to have there was no other tune there was no way to you you had to have, a, have everything and like you said you had to pay for studio time you know you had to you had to have it you know yeah. um and obviously yeah another lesson you learned fr from college like there's more to just putting up a cover there's the ins yeah. and outs of the music and then there's also the wider context of it in a career terms because artists get famous from covers look at Sinead O'Connor look at yeah. fucking all these mad fucking covers that are end up being bigger or more famous or well known than the original song Gabriel Aplin I know, yeah, I... I know. <laughs> um, so yes production value in terms of being an artist matters but that is very different I think to being a marketer I, if you I... get me I feel like there's 
there's excellent musicians and there's excellent marketing. And if I took um, 10 of the top social media people in music, like people on social media who are like are musicians and are like playing the game extremely well. Yeah. And then I took 10 of the best musicians I know, put them all on the stage uh, in front of, I don't know, a couple hundred people and just watch what they do. Mm. Like you see the different um, metrics there. Some people's metrics might not be being on social media and trying to capture someone's um, short attention span and get them to watch their video, pre-save their song, whatever the hell. Well, it's um, very interesting. That's it. That's a pre-save. That's like the crossover. Yeah. Is th- is this crossing over? And I think that's like the key to all of this conversation. And we mentioned social media a lot, and I think we should cover that in our next episode, but we'll get there. Is it crossing over? If you get 10 million views, are you? is that crossing over to Spotify streams? Is that c- crossing over to 10,000 CD sales? Is it? Is it know. actually contributing to the industry side of music and how are different artists work in this and or you know in our cases like some of these videos we put up on youtube also like the amount of that those things would have cost i I wonder if they make it back but anyway it goes back to there must be a way that this stuff is generating income what where i'm going with that point sorry is more streaming and how much that's changed the landscape so i know for a fact a massive massive part of streaming numbers for my band have been from editorial playlists. Mm. That's someone who works for Spotify, taking a liking to our music and putting us onto a big whopper playlist of millions. The same, YouTube is a streaming platform for music now. It has its own thing, right? Like you can, Mm. YouTube music music is, yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And so they've obviously worked out how to monetize that shit. If you get the YouTube feature, on fucking Times Square or on fucking uh, London Shepherd's Bush. If you get that, that is a metric of you are fucking smashing it. It's real life stuff. It's people doing the social media game and then having a, a photo to show like, look, it worked in real life. But it's po- it's then, if it wasn't posted on Instagram or TikTok, did it even happen? You know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't matter that there's a billboard there. Will people actually listen to the song or is it the fact that you can post on Instagram and go look what look what happened like are well that's I'm, it I'm, my experience right in working with YouTube and the hope back in 2018 when I did this little bit of work for them was that we do it. it it was a cool experience and I really enjoyed it was at the Santa Barbara fucking head office like really got to feel like an employee for at least two days but one of the big hopes out of that trip was that we might get some editorial support from YouTube for our upcoming album, which would would have been the YouTube equivalent to Acoustic Chill Playlist, two million people, you know, and had we got exposed to that, maybe content from that album would have been seen and exploited and 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 it would have driven people to another place. However, we didn't get that and we were dependent on our own subscriber base, which is very large, 70,000 people. However, one massive thing I've noticed is actually getting in touch with these subscribers is nigh on impossible. We spent yeah. thousands making music videos to try and even just get them heard by our own audience. And I tell you, some of them are still on fucking 1,000, 2,000 views. I don't, I don't understand those metrics as, you know, when I became more involved again in the creation of the music videos and the contents, when I genuinely looked after budgets and all of that stuff, well, my, my head is going, this doesn't add up. 
Like, yeah. do you know, I've, I've just commissioned two videos for, you know, over five grand and this money's not going, you know what I mean? This money's not going back. I don't know what's going to happen to these videos. And, and they've sat there and I know it sounds like I'm just complaining because they've got no views, but actually I, I don't care. I believe <laughs> like you believe it's, it's up there and it'll speak for itself. And if people, people might find it in 10 years and like it, you know, and unless the algorithm doesn't actually pick it up. And I think that's the difference between now, now and back and then. Absolutely. It's the metrics of what, why a YouTube video would be picked up and people would know it. And like top YouTubers, um, it's all planned, calculated. Jesus Christ, the thumbnails sometimes. Like if you ever just paused and actually look at the thumbnail, not not in the sense of like, okay, it's grabbed my attention, I'm going to watch the video. If you actually pause and like, just like stare at it for a minute, it's really weird. And like... Oh, it's like the fucking tabloid gutter press, man. It's like the techniques to get your eyeballs onto that screen. And like, they'll give you things like, guess what happens after this? And it's just like yeah. some mad headline to, to draw you in. The real reason Hudson Taylor broke up. Well, we'll be using these exact same tactics as, yeah, <laughs> as you probably see. <laughs> um, an experience, like in the last album, but I'd say in, in going for the number one album and the second album, um are on like ep number 25 like yeah. um i remember it well <laughs> that was my favorite one <laughs> um like what was the translation between um the amount of let's just say grassroots marketing in person and then the online campaign or like <laughs> like if i'm i'm releasing a song next month and there's a pre-save link but i don't feel like I want to follow through in it because I'm like I understand that helps you playlist but it's also for me like the long game and I'd rather the song speak for itself and have that to show people when it comes out rather than going this is the title this is the image yeah pre-save it I'm not going to tell you what it sounds like it's yeah. like I'd rather you listen to it actually like it and then check yeah. it out I don't yeah. it's fine if you, if you listen to it and it's not your thing yeah but it's this st thing of like you know if you go on Instagram and you maybe like hashtag pre-save or whatever you look up, you're going to find just endless um, calls to action to pre-save a song that you can't hear and you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how that's capturing an audience. I I feel like people aren't letting the, the music speak for itself. And now that might be very cynical and fucking well, phrase. How do you feel about this now after our whole discussion? First of all, you're going to upload it to YouTube, really, aren't you? Yeah. And after everything we've spoken about, how do you feel about it? And like, what would you like to achieve with doing this action of making a music video and putting it up into your own channel completely yourself? For me, it... okay, so like for me, it's a calling card for what Finchkelt is. And if you listen to my music, you can watch the video and you can actually like understand the world that it takes place in. You know, physical and Fionn are different things. <laughs> like, I've, you know, I have myself, I have my life, and then I have my creative output, and I like to differentiate those. Yeah, there's plenty more to come. I have a lot more planned. Yeah. And, you know, in a year's time, we'd be able to discuss this, and I probably have a whole different view. But for me, yeah. like, my expectation of what it's going to do, like, you know, I don't have one. I'd, and, cause, and I think that makes me feel really excited and free, because I don't have to give, you know that much thought to it 
I believe in what I've made and I believe in um, the power of collaboration and that shows both in the song and in the video and I think that will stand for itself and stand out um, with a lot of stuff that is uploaded every day. I know that there's a quality there and a story there that is worth telling and worth experiencing. So I hope that comes across. And over time, I know it will, but I'm not. I don't feel any pressure. Beautiful answer, man. Beautiful answer. And yeah, any new artist, take note of that. Like if you're expecting a million views on the first go, you're dreaming. Do you know, Mm. do it for... Your own reasons, similar, you know, Fionn has his own reasons, which he's just spoken about. And I scale the cinematic universe, man. Yeah. <laughs> My friends always say it. Pers- personally, I don't have that same passion about music videos, and that's okay. And I feel like I would, I would need to, <laughs> I would need to probably hire someone like Fionn or another director to make my music video, and you know because. <laughs> because those ideas don't come to me naturally and I'm much more focused on the music at the moment. However, like that'll change. Sorry, I go think on. you've great ideas though. That this is my point. I have um I have music videos lined up with artists who I'm really ex- and okay. <laughs> I'll start from here. What I what excites me about making music videos is firstly, it's a collaboration that isn't this massively long process. It's not making something that then goes into a festival circuit and then after like a year or two years i get to release it and actually just show it to people you know it is something that is a day two days yeah it's a collaboration with people i get to try different things styles the music informs the project and i get to really just explore creatively and um, collaborate and it's really cool but i have artists um lined up for the new year um and more of my own videos planned with my next releases and like they're different styles, you know what I mean? Um, that's so exciting to me. And are they I, coming at, at you with ideas, or are you giving them ideas? They're uh, coming to me to is, collaborate on okay. the idea. So I have two films and my music video to show a style, and then they like that style and want to collaborate based off that. Cool. Which took me a long time to build but i did that consciously and the same with music you know what i mean I, yeah it's there so it can something can grow from there and that's the whole thing with it being a foundation for me i see so for you it's a foundation of your work as an yeah. artist and you see yourself laying the foundations now for what in the future where would you like to take your music videos I'd like in- to take Finchgeld as a whole um, to many different places. Yeah. That's what I find exciting about it. Finchgeld for me is a collaboration. Um, I'm planning my first gig. That'll be announced soon. And, you know, for me, I have artists who will be joining me um, for different songs. And when I make, you know, when I made therapy, I got to work with my best friend Cormac. I got to work with the very talented Maya and, and Ben. And, um, you know, we get to come together for a day or two and actually just like make that and share that. And um, I look forward to, and what I always love about when I, what I loved about studying music when I did is the fact that like we, we are the industry that's, you know, that's rising. And in 10 years time, I'll be playing a gig and um, Kev will be doing his gig and Michael will be on the, on engineering it, you know, and it's just like this kind yeah. of, that community, 
that's what makes that's the lifeblood. That's what makes it worth doing for me. I but when I was younger, I didn't have is, that. There is the similarity between new artists now and new artists then. That community, community that hunger for a musical community is there in most artists. And that needs to be preserved. Yes, it can be monetized, but that community needs to be preserved. And I would fear that the next 10 years, like you're saying, money gets in the fucking way of all this. And two no. of your mates can't do music anymore or do what they want to do because they can't afford to live. Because it's but, Go on. This is why I love this podcast. I know they'll be fine because they have armed themselves with the knowledge of the industry. Oh, yeah, no, thank it. you very much. That's the, yeah. that's why I care so much about yeah. this. I yeah. want someone listening to this. Ask questions, inform yeah. yourself, yeah. learn. And the whole point of that is that you can walk confidently and make your plan, adapt it, and make it work. Yeah. Um, that's the point. When I was 18 when i was 20 when i met you like i didn't have this plan i had aspirations i had notions i had no clue it's 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 a very lovely feeling to be um in the film and the music industry and feel confident like and and it's not an absurd notion either it's just take the time to learn and plan um and mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't know i don't i don't think money's going to get in the way i think money can get in the way if you let us. Oh well, uh, yeah. It it's it can is what I'm saying. And yeah, yeah. and now I think more than then because of the state of the world. I think you know there's like music. There's less money in music. Even I know they're working in different areas, but with things on the rise, um, it's like things like AI and threats to the industry coming up. And I totally agree with you. This podcast should be the place where we can talk about this stuff and figure it out so as we can all stay as a community for the next 10 years and try and defeat these things together or go through these things together. Go on, you're saying? And myself and Alfie love our AI overlords and are very happy uh, (laughs) with the state of AI. And And please, please make our next episode. Yeah, please make our next episode uh, friendly and popular. And um, please don't kill us yeah. <laughs> when you inevitably get sentience. But honestly, this fucking scares the bejesus out of me, right? And this is on the official YouTube blog page on the internet. I'm reading it right now. It's by the chief executive officer of YouTube, Neil Mohan. And he Ooh, says... <laughs> and he says, AI is here and we will embrace it responsibly together with our music partners. Today, AI is moving at a pace faster than ever before. It's empowering creativity, sparking new ideas, and even transforming industries. At this critical inflection point, it's clear that we need to boldly embrace this technology with a continued commitment to responsibility. Huh? Is it clear? Is it clear? I know. It's not clear at all. With that in mind... There's so much unknown. (laughs) I know. With that in mind, over the past few months, I've spent time talking with AI experts working across YouTube, as well as leaders in one of the most influential and creative forces in the world, the music industry. For nearly our entire history, YouTube and music have been inextricably linked. As a hosting platform, YouTube connected fans worldwide and quickly became, this is everything we've been saying, uh, quickly became home for iconic music videos and breakout artists. Yeah, we could have saved for 40 minutes. (laughs) 
Our deep partnership with the music industry has enabled us to innovate and evolve together, building products, features and experiences from our YouTube music and premium subscription services to live streaming capabilities. That spurs, oh, I found a typo in the YouTube blog. That spurs originality and bring communities of fans even closer. That spur originality and bring, oh, that's You're fucked. really engaged in the audience around you. I am, sorry guys, I'm losing you here. <laughs> now, we're working closely with our music partners, including Universal Music Group, My All Boys, to develop an AI framework to help us work toward our common goals. What are these common goals? As an artist who has music on one of these platforms, I'm really interested to know. And then it goes on to say even more about the advancements in generative AI are no longer a future promise. Millions of people already embrace it in their day-to-day -day lives, you know, I'm being one of them. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I'm oh. joking, I'm joking. I'll take that out. I'm just checking if you're listening. Uh, millions of people already embrace it. Millions of people already embrace it in their day-to-day -day lives from finding useful information to increasing creativity and productivity. And YouTube creators in particular have embraced AI to streamline and boost their creative processes. In 2023 alone, there have been more than 1.7 billion views of videos related to AI tools on YouTube. So this to me is the new fucking zone, man. This is happening now. Like, you know, this is important and I'm going to seek to understand this further and i think as a podcast we should cover this as as much as possible What's because it's see, metal this, hats absolutely yeah tinfoil if it actually would be better i think yeah that'd be better <laughs> <laughs> as generative ai unlocks ambitious new forms of creativity youtube and partners across the music industry agree to build on our long collaborative history and responsibly embrace it, this rapidly advancing field. Our goal is to partner with the music industry to empower creativity in a way that enhances our joint pursuit of responsible innovation. To that end, we are addressing this opportunity head on. Today, we're introducing YouTube's Music AI Incubator. The incubator will help inform YouTube's approach as we work with some of music's most innovative artists, songwriters, and producers across the industry, across mm. a diverse range of cultures, genres, and experience. Let me also just tell you, today, massive news story, heard on the radio this morning, the Beatles are getting back together and doing a fucking single. What? John Lennon's voice is being used and reconstructed by AI, and they've managed to separate it. I swear to fucking God, because I've been hearing Paul promote this, and he's a big name, and it's the Beatles, and in a sense, hearing so that story today, it was presented to me as a fucking great thing. Now, I have all sorts of feelings about this and it's gonna be a whole episode on its own, but this specifically, I'm reading this from the YouTube blog, from the head of YouTube Music himself, and he's there saying, look lads, we're gonna embrace this technology with our good mates Universal and all the big labels. I'm but sorry. This is a repetition of things that have happened, let's say 10 years ago. Yeah. That fucked artists. And look, exactly. And this... Back 10 years ago, it was like, this is a positive thing, but artists got shafted. And now it's happening again with uh, just new, <laughs> new shit. Well, here's where I am literally directly involved with what this man is saying. Hudson Taylor is yeah. reuniting his <laughs> AI. <laughs> I mean, that's the shit that could happen, you know? And I don't want that at all. To kick off the program, we're working with Universal Music Group, a leader in the space, uh, and their incredible roster of talent. Well, that's a lovely compliment. Thank you. This includes superstar Anita, internationally renowned and revered songwriter, producer, and entrepreneur Bjorn. 
innovative genre defining artist D4VD don't know who the fuck that is acclaimed musician composer Don Was uh, Colombian sensation Juanes hitmaker Lewis Bell so they've got big big names in Grammy Award winning Ryan Tedder One Republic what the fuck is this about Frank Sinatra again like they're able to do mad shit because AI can do it they're like it's this amazing thing we're going to get all these artists involved but all these artists have related their late relationships with these labels. When I signed this fucking deal with them, none of this shit was in there. AI didn't exist. How are you telling me they're allowed to fucking have say over that music? You know what I mean? That's that's my position on it, knowing what I know. Like, Which isn't much. It's not much at the moment. And it's not much... I, I am not embarrassed to say that. I didn't know much about the YouTube fucking algorithm back in the day. Like... It's not my fucking world. Other people yeah. control this world. And that's the thing about it. Do you know? Yeah. It's... The Illuminati, it, man. Uh, I sound like a fucking crazy person, don't I? It's... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like... I didn't know what I was doing when I started off. Do you know? And yeah. like, in a way, I shouldn't. But like, I should be able to trust that there are systems in place to prevent me getting fucking screwed. Like, there's, they're, they're leading this, do you know what I mean? As yeah. people who own artists, not artists. And, like, they're not the ones creating the work, they're the ones who own the work, like, of millions and millions of artists. And mm. YouTube are a massive player in the game. We've, we've seen and spoke about how they've disrupted the music industry in the last 12 years. Here they are joining forces now with the labels in this new technology which is essentially i mean i haven't even gotten to the point of what they're claiming to do but how i found this was the headline which to me was presented like this oh yeah youtube is working on a new ai tool that would allow users to create videos that use the voices of famous musicians oh god that's what we're talking about here i maybe should have started with that but, yeah, you should. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, where's that? You're going to look at this. Universal Music Group, UMG, my boys, Sony Music Entertainment and Warner Music Group are some of the major labels that are in talks over oh, vo- voice voice rights. And so, what, what do you feel now? Would you sign your voice rights? I absolutely would no, no way do something of the sort. Like, I, I would not... That's I autonomy, wouldn't. like that's autonomy being. That's what away. that's that's the fucking scary shit, and that's what I just don't know enough about, and that's why I do sound like a crazy person. That's why we should cut all this out. <laughs> um, I think honestly, the ignorance is is for me. I'll keep my ignorance in. You don't have to. You can remain the expert, but like I don't need to be. But I I think as well though, uh, an important point of view is Google own YouTube, and Google are developing their own AI, um, technology, and you know as I said to you, like Google do not Don't. like to lose. And yeah. I watched a video recently by um, Marcus, Marcus Burnley. I cannot say it with an Irish accent. I apologize to anyone who I'm trying to pronounce their name. <laughs> um, and he was just talking about how essentially just going through services and products that um, Google announced and let go of. And he went through, um, he just used it as a, a way to go through things that like Google have announced and, um shelved yeah so there is weight to this announcement but also 
I wouldn't be surprised if in six months' time, a year's time, it didn't happen. Art evolved to something completely new. But they are always trying stuff because they want to be on top of the game and they want to be um, on top of the game in AI. So this is them attempting it. And well, it might not go well. There might be an uproar and they might let it go and pivot. And other, I would like yeah. to believe they will. <laughs> other, let's say, breakthrough news stories other than this Beatles example I just gave you Yeah, is people taking AI into their own hands, i.e. me, you, and recreating someone's voice. Yes. That's also happening. And in fact, this whole podcast has been the creation of an AI. <laughs> I'm joking. Honestly, yeah, honestly. Uh, not even from Cork. Like, you can, I reckon that's the next threat to the creative industries and to the music industry in particular. They're acting by their own interests, which are their own interests. I would argue not the interest of the artist, the yeah. interest of the rights holder. Um, yeah. And we're simply going to have a difference of opinion. Mm. Um, mine would be a lot more of a no bar. In fact, I've seen of campaigns in which you write to your rights holders as an artist and you say, I don't want fucking anything involved in this fucking AI bullshit. However, from what I know, a lot of information in music has already been scraped. And yeah. again, it, this is all going to make an entirely new episode. It has to at some stage. There's a big issue in music at the moment with AI and YouTube and the major labels are up to up to something to try and they believe rectify the situation. We're going to talk about it more in the podcast at a later date. And yeah, that's that's all we need to know so far. It will become something else completely. I don't know. I'd love to research it and talk about it though. That's the thing. So to wrap that up again for you, yeah. What was you? What was your relationship with YouTube when you began, and what's your relationship with YouTube, um, coming out of your third album, Psycho? My relationship with YouTube at the beginning, like I didn't know whether I wanted to do it or not, and then, as I realized there was a community there, and yeah, a metric of success which previously didn't exist to me as a musician. You know, um, it was keeping the dream alive for me. What was the dream? that dream of wanting to be a musician, hating school, wanting to be an artist. Yeah. And then later, I feel we were a lot more connected with it, but the algorithm and the whole website and the system in which things were done had moved on and it just simply didn't succeed because we weren't thinking about it in a very calculated way and there was no spend yeah. behind it. And yeah, uh, I believe our, our label had lost enthusiasm and yeah, loads of other outside factors. I, but sorry, go on. I have a different belief. Yeah, <laughs> as to go what on. Happened. Hit me. Like, you know, YouTube went from that community, um, very, I, I'd say, earnest community, um, to you know, a company owned by Google and businesses being involved. And I, I think that what YouTube and music, that relationship that it had early on, that shifted into it essentially becoming a streaming service. Like when Spotify launched, YouTube was also changing towards that direction. And I think that, you know, to put the blame either on like yourself at the label and stuff in terms of enthusiasm or just like the way it goes, it's like it evolved. And it is also something that like, same with streaming, same with anything no money or power can guarantee a hit and yeah. no money or power can guarantee a YouTube hit either. 
Yeah. What I think um, is like you look at a Taylor Swift, for example, or the weekend, <laughs> I don't know, random people yeah. come to my mind. They'll release a video. They have guaranteed that they'll make it back on the revenue side, or at least will like it will like hit. Well, their their community drives that. They have a very large exactly. community. Yeah, and it's that a community that's solely outside of YouTube. Would you say? I'd say that, and this would go into other platforms like Instagram or TikTok and stuff like that. It's the way that um, I personally don't think that it's a label who can get a fan base to go from tiktok to follow on instagram to listen on spotify to watch on youtube like i i believe the power is in the artist's hand yeah. and what they cultivate and the community they can create yeah. and i think that does come from that kind of grassroots yeah the thing that youtube um spawned out of i having grown up listening to Tots and taylor and um i remember some of those youtube videos and then watching the i guess the kind of like the release and of the newer music videos and I'm not really picking up like and then knowing you and how you felt about it you know did it shatter the illusion oh that was shattered a while ago <laughs> like I think what I'm trying to say is like that community and like it's driven by the artist and you had checked out yeah at some so point that tells you that, everything yeah, I yeah, think yeah. the momentum of the band yeah, but it goes back to what I was saying in the fucking interview. It's like the product wasn't. And I think honest. it was easy to spot as well as a as a person watching or listening because yeah. I like I um between the early EPs and the first album and the the, the final album, it's easy to spot. I guess what felt like ye. But come here, in music, like in commercial music, like would it be fair to conclude, YouTube is no longer what it was like it's not the metric it used to it's be it's not it is fair to say that it's changed and the metric of what you can get off youtube is completely different jesus if you got ten thousand subscribers 10 years ago compared to now like you know what i mean now the metric is a hundred thousand subscribers and um but i feel what's more important is like can you sell tickets do you have an audience who's engaged you know it's like there are i, I yeah. always feel like the real life aspects are more yeah. important and Maybe you can um, bring people to those places from these things, but I feel like that, on more general level, is more important. Unless then you're the person who's getting like millions of views on your um, thing because you know how to play the algorithm and you're doing it well, and and that also works. And we're seeing it work for many artists. And and I don't think there's any correct way. I, I feel like what will always be the most important thing is can you get people into a room and can you share an experience with them? And can you yeah. sing your song or play your music and um, affect your audience in a way where they leave it having gone through that with you? Um, yes, there's ways to, to, to do that on YouTube. Um, I feel having grown up with it very much at hand mm -hmm. that like where i'm at now with it is that i know my attention um can be taken away by youtube and that there are these methods that like videos will do to grab it and to get me hooked in and maybe like a minute or two in i'm like oh fuck I actually fell for that again yeah and i really don't want that because i i want to read a book i want to write a yeah. song i want to yeah. spend time with my family and like not yeah. just be like caught up in my headphones yeah but i think that like the power is in the room still yeah and maybe as 
YouTube grows and AI comes into play and all these things, um, it might change in a way, but there will always be that, um, there will always be that shared experience and community. Yeah. And, and YouTube started off as that and it might have evolved a bit to, to something uh, bigger, but you can always find community at the gig and at this podcast. Love it. Love it. Well, yeah, that's it. I think we have loads there from loads of different angles. Loads to jump into in the future, like all these things that we touch on, there'll be episodes on. And if you're listening to this and you have thoughts. That's it. Please develop your own thoughts and, and questions. I mean, we are covering, we realized this there in the last week of research, like these topics are huge. We could yeah. go, we could talk about one year of YouTube for fucking two hours. And there's however many billions of hours of content uh, uploaded every day, but it's a massive topic and I'm sure we've missed things. So if you, if this has provoked any thought in your mind, um, please get, just get in touch, ask us a few questions. It might steer steer the conversation. If you know anything about this AI business we were talking about or the future, where this is going or yeah, just please, please get in touch. What are you laughing at? Yeah. AI, it's the way you talk. You talk about AI like you're yelling at a cloud. Well, <laughs> that's how this, I feel this, about AI. This AI business. <laughs> because as this, far as I'm this, fucking aware, as far as I'm aware, it has no fucking business with what I signed 12 years. You know what I mean? It's just like. I know, but I think, yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously, yeah, it can help, but like, I don't know enough about it to comment. That's why I call it this AI business. If I knew exactly, I'd go, this is the problem. But I just fucking, I can sense a massive problem coming on. And uh, it just feels like, yeah, this is weird. And especially out of my band now, thinking like, that's closure. No. I could be brought back from the fucking dead, even though I firmly do not want to be in that band anymore. Do you know? Yeah. Anyway, another AI rabbit hole. We'll talk about it more. But um... <laughs> but yeah, loads to talk about. Loads we'll be diving into in future episodes. And if you have any thoughts, get in touch with us. It will inform how this podcast goes forward. And there's definitely stuff we missed. And we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I have a good title for the episode, by the way. What is it? You, Brackets Tube, and I. You can keep 100% of those, <laughs> of, of that writing credit. Well, otherwise, it's me, me and you, Tuber. Yeah. Well, if you've got any other ideas, I'd love to hear them. Perhaps, can't None. believe what Mr. Beast did yesterday. Yeah. It's Click like, here um, to find out more. Yeah. <laughs> Key to success via AI tools on YouTube. I'm joking. Anyway. We got um, through the whole episode without mentioning Mr. Beast. And, of course, in the wrap of it. <laughs> I don't even know what the fucking guy looks exactly, like. Exactly. Um, but anyway, really good. Really, really good to chat again yeah. and excited for yeah. our next subject, which I, I feel we've boxed ourselves into a nice corner. We better talk about social media. It's another big yeah. step, like another big step in a career, having a presence on it. I think rather than solely focus on one, let's try and focus on the methods around all of them. So YouTube will come come into it, but... There's going to be, yeah, there's obviously TikTok, what, Instagram, I have fucking loads, loads of social media platforms and other, other things that are coming about like Discord and these kind of direct-to-fan communities. Yeah. Again, it talks about Patreon. community, pa Patreon, we're great, great link there if you're not, just reminding you all, we do have a Patreon and we're doing this work well, for, 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 we, we like to think it's for good, really, for informational it education, is for <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> informational <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> educational um purposes and with 
we would love your help in funding this dream so we can keep it all independent and not have to sell our rights to some of these big bold companies we've been talking about and uh, if you would like to support us in that endeavour please do um, it's a humble endeavour I think Finan. I don't know why you're giggling I'm not, not nothing sometimes you stare shit <laughs> and I, I just have to hold my tongue <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like, say that yeah. I said that you know um, but it just keeps it free yeah. it keeps it keeps it uh, you know keeps it in our hands and um, well yeah myself <laughs> myself and Finon we put a huge amount of work into this and um, yeah we, we really hope it, it helps people and look if you can help us out by just a, a coffee for Finon every week and uh, maybe a little point for me every week. We'd, we'd really appreciate that. Thanks a million for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to and supporting this independent podcast.